Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe, Lewis Goldberg, and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, hosts Ann and Nick are speaking with Ryan Douglas, former master grower of tweed turned cultivation consultant. Ryan recently published his first book, From Seed to Success, How to Launch a great cannabis cultivation business in record time, which aims to demystify the process of establishing a productive, profitable, and rewarding cultivation operation. With over two decades specializing in horticulture and legal cannabis, Ryan has become one of the leading voices helping to establish industry standards for cultivation and is a must-follow resource for cannabis entrepreneurs looking to break their way into the industry. So don't sit back, lean forward as we have a chat with Ryan Douglas. Ryan Douglas, so great to have you on the show today. Um, before we dive in and, and tell people about the book, um, which we're so excited about, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am a horticulture expert, so I consult to cannabis companies that are in the process of launching a new cultivation site or are looking to expand their existing site. So I, my career in horticulture actually stretches about two decades um, prior to even touching cannabis on a commercial scale. I was a grower of ornamental and edible crops in greenhouses across the U.S. for 15 years. And then once cannabis slowly became um, decriminalized or legalized in different parts of the U.S., I decided to really switch my focus from growing flowers and vegetables to cannabis. And it led me to uh, uh, an interesting career uh, launching cultivation for Canopy Growth Corporation in Canada. And I spent the last five years as an independent cultivation consultant uh, working on projects in various different countries. I am always so interested in, in people's backstory and the the moment they shifted from whatever career they were doing before, because very few people are, you know, are, are like, I'm going to grow up and I want to be in cannabis. Like, were, were you, you know, in college being like, eventually I want to take these skills <laughs> or was it more of a, this is a really interesting opportunity and it kind of grew, um, grew on you in that regard. Well, I've, I've been a cannabis consumer for probably two decades now or more, so it was always an interest of mine. Um, but uh, when I graduated college, I knew I wanted to enter the field of horticulture, but I was uh, just too afraid of going to prison. So <laughs> I mean... <laughs> So I've always, you know, had a couple of plants growing on the side, but never on a commercial scale. So uh, in retrospect, actually, um, growing flowers and vegetables uh, on a commercial scale across the U.S. was the best kind of training I could have asked for to prepare me for a career in commercial cannabis cultivation. Let's expand on that, because as you mentioned, you were working with Canopy. You were the master grower at Tweed and that's a big undertaking. So what was it, what did a day-to-day -day look like? Cause you ramped up production for that company. Um, you had a massive staff. I think you got over 70,000 plants that you were managing at one point. How do, how were you able to keep everything in check? 
Yeah, so that was uh, that was the best job I've ever had, to be honest. So I, w- I was hired by the company before they even had a license. I, I received a work permit from the government of Canada specifically to grow cannabis for that company. So I moved to Canada, helped the company uh, establish the, the cultivation portion of the license application. And then once we received the license, um, it was just kind of, you know, pedal to the floor. And the idea was to design the facility, hire and train the cultivation team and really help the company uh, establish and expand their cultivation program for the first three years of Canopy's existence. So uh, fortunately, I think if I was a home grower, you know, handling a dozen or so plants, and then I moved into that position, I think it would have been overwhelming. But given the work environment I came from, managing several acres of commercial plant production, it was actually a a question of scaling down and and focusing on just one crop in a relatively small area of space. So I certainly had plenty of challenges, but uh, thankfully, like I said before, uh, you know, 15 years of experience of commercial (coughs) plant production, I couldn't have asked for any better training to prepare me for that job. So I am always in awe of people who have the discipline, uh, the wherewithal and the expertise to write a book. I'm a big book nerd. Um, and so I'm, I'm always, I always fangirl around authors, but what made you decide that, um, the, I guess, tell us the genesis of the, the, the book idea, what inspired you to write it? Um, and who is it really targeted for? And before I, I forget the book is called from seed to success, how to launch a great cannabis, how to, how to launch a great cannabis cultivation business in record time. Yeah, so so the idea came from um, the last couple of years working as an independent cultivation consultant. So um, the majority of individuals that get into the cannabis industry, specifically in the cultivation side, they're not from the, the world of agriculture. So they're professionals from other industries that have done really well. And now they're looking to enter this new industry because it's exciting, uh, potentially lucrative. It's got you know a number of different things that attract them. But what I noticed is that when, when companies would call me in to have a look at their crop, potential clients, and, and I would begin the process of troubleshooting, nine times out of 10, uh, the 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 problem was not something really technical, like the wrong kind of fertilizer or the wrong kind of pruning practice or the wrong kind of grow light. It was almost always related back to decisions made at a higher level before the business even began. And so what I wanted to do with this book was create a guidebook so that entrepreneurs from any industry could come into cannabis and really um, uh, launch a successful cultivation business without knowing anything about growing cannabis itself. So does this book put you out of a job? Because <laughs> you're you're a, you're a consultant right now, and can you just be like, "Here, guys, read my book"? Uh, no, no. So I'm not concerned about <laughs> okay. that. I mean, that was that was uh, actually part of the driving reason behind writing it is that I wanted to reach out to more people um, than I could as an independent independent consultant traveling around and working with clients. So it's written in a way that really anybody from any background can can really flip through the book. And, you know, it's divided into 10 chapters and pretty much every chapter deals with a really important factor of either planning or launching or expanding a cultivation business. So um, I'm definitely not afraid of being out of work, but that was the that was the driving force behind the book was really to get this information into many as many people's hands as possible so I can help them to avoid the typical startup mistakes that I see companies repeat over and over and over again. And and they're not only 
predictable, but they're also preventable. And so that's really the idea behind this book. I think it's interesting that you're helping new cultivators come online because, you know, we've, what happens, I feel like a lot is people follow the, the bigger players in the space, you know, the big LPs up in Canada, the big MSOs down here, you know, is there room for, for new cultivators to really enter the space and, and, and compete against some of these bigger companies that have been established? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially in new states that are just legally legalizing cannabis or will in the near future. So I think the advantage is that these smaller companies, you know, you don't need uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to launch one of these things. Uh, you know, you certainly need a couple million, but the benefit of a smaller company is that they can establish themselves very lean and they can they can move very efficiently. So what I've noticed working for really big companies is, is that it's hard to really make decisions or move on decisions because they have to go through a number of different committees or a number of different higher ups that need to okay a change in direction or purchase of a cultivation equipment or anything like that. So the benefit of these lean companies is that, you know, you've got very few people at the, at the top of the organizational chart, uh, very open and fluid communication, and they can make changes or make a decision and move rapidly and actually progress a lot faster than some of these behemoth companies that are just so huge. And in my opinion, really kind of weighted down under their own bureaucracy. Yeah. So you brought up new markets. You know, we there's obviously going to be five states uh, passed uh, cannabis legalization bills last November. Um, and in my home states of New Jersey and Arizona are, are soon to be switching over to recreational. What what would you tell the companies that are looking to start cultivations in these states? What What's like the top three checklist thing items that they need to do? Um, to, to begin and start off successful? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that's a topic I touch on in my book is just because uh, cannabis cultivation is legal in a certain state or country, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's in an ideal environment to launch a business. So as an example, we could take um, my home state of Maine. And so uh, they've just legalized cannabis for adult use recently, but for the last few years, it's been a, a purely medicinal state. And what we found out is that 75% or more of the cannabis industry in that state was provided by caregivers. And so caregivers are essentially um, home growers that, that grow for people that have a prescription. And so the majority of the industry was supplied by individual growers, not the large licensed dispensaries. So if someone's looking to launch a cultivation business, I would not recommend launching a business in, in a state where the majority of Cannabis is not purchased through dispensaries, if that makes sense. So on the flip side, the question is, well, then where is a good place to launch business? And so ideally, it would be in a state that has yet to legalize medicinal cannabis or in a state where it's legal for medicinal use, but they're about to legalize it for adult use. So as part of the research for my book, I realized that places like uh, Illinois that have a relatively recent adult use cannabis industry roughly 20% of that state's revenues in terms of cannabis comes from out-of-staters. And so if we look at a place like New Jersey, that's one of the driving factors be behind other states like New York or Maryland or Rhode Island wanting to legalize cannabis is because you've got a massive amount of people coming from these other states spending their money, or they will be spending their money in New Jersey. They're going to be generating tax revenue in New Jersey, and then they drive back home to consume the product. So 
uh, a state that has yet to legalize for uh, adult use is ideal. It's even better if it's bordered by other states where it's not like not yet legal. And I, and I have to imagine that these states also are caring about jobs. I mean, especially in an economy like we have right now when, you know, the job numbers came out, I think there's 1.3 million, you know, newly unemployed people. So I would imagine that, you know, bringing in, you know, commercial scale cultivation um, is going to not just serve the tax base of a state like New Jersey, um, but also give people much needed jobs, right? I mean, this, I would, I would imagine every state that, that you're consulting with right now sees you as a rainmaker. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, right. No, that's, that's a, that's a good way to put it. So not only when we think about the creation of jobs, not only are we looking at really retail dispensaries, but because the interstate transport of anything with THC is prohibited, every time a state legalizes cannabis for sale, Everything they sell that contains THC needs to be cultivated and processed within that state. So in a sense, it kind of, uh, we're benefiting from the inefficiencies of not having federally legal cannabis. Because every time a state legalizes cannabis, there's um, a boom of new cultivation sites. There's new manufacturing and extraction uh, labs that are created. There's testing labs that are created. So uh, you're absolutely right. It's um, increased jobs is one of the biggest driving factors behind legalization of cannabis in a lot of in a lot of states. So and and we're living in a a new administration um, right now. Uh, we're recording this on the twenty second. Joe Biden's been president for forty eight hours or so. <laughs> um, what you know, we are expecting the the in in the states the Democratic legislature to take up um, things like the More Act and the States Act um, and stuff like that. How do you see that impacting? Uh, your business once, once, um, you know, things like interstate commerce open up, um, or dare we even wish for it federal legalization? Um, you know, does that, is that good, a net good for your business? Or do you think it'll get swallowed up by, by big agriculture? Well, so I think realistically, uh, I don't believe that federal legalization is going to happen anytime soon, but that doesn't mean that we need to have a pessimistic outlook for the industry. Quite the contrary. I think with the new administration, they're going to be a little bit more cannabis friendly. So what I see in the next year or two are a number of states that legalize cannabis for the first time for medicinal use or adult use uh, within their own legislature, not necessarily bringing it to a vote because we've seen other states do that. Illinois was one of those states. And and I think in 2020, they clocked a billion dollars in cannabis sales. So, um, so I'm 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 uh, very optimistic for the future. I think um, really for the next I think for the next five years I think the U.S. is going to be probably the biggest cannabis market on the globe. I mean, there's individual states that bring in more revenue from cannabis sales than entire countries. So I'm excited. I you know that's why I'm in the industry. That's why I wrote the book, and and that's why uh, I accepted your invitation to speak today. I mean, I couldn't be more excited to to be doing this. And, and, and let's talk about, uh, just keep building off, you know, your last five years since starting this consulting business. How has that been? Has there been anything that's particularly surprised you about um, running this this uh, independent business? Yeah, and actually, it's a, it's a topic I addressed, I think, in the first few pages of the book, is that what I'm, what I'm baffled by is that 
really smart people from other industries get into this business, but then I think it's, it's probably the attraction of, of the big dollars or, or I don't know what it is, but people sometimes tend to put reason aside and they make decisions launching a, a cannabis business that wouldn't make sense in any, any other industry. So oftentimes my work as a consultant is actually helping clients to kind of calm things down focus and really simplify the launch because what I've seen um, is that some of the biggest cannabis companies on the globe, when they set up new operations, they they tend to overcomplicate the launch unnecessarily. So money isn't a problem, but they try to, you know, maybe they hire the wrong grower, they start with too many genetics, they try to implement too much technology all at once, and the cultivation program actually implodes. So they, they realize multiple crop failures before they can actually uh, sell one gram of cannabis. So to answer your question, if there's anything that that has kind of stuck out or surprised me in the last few years of consulting, it's it's just how how complicated uh, people can make the launch of a relatively straightforward business because granted cannabis is unique, but you know, launching a tomato farm or growing a crop of poinsettias isn't that difficult. It's pretty straightforward and people have done it for decades. And that's the same approach I take when clients hire me to help program and really support their the launch of their cannabis business. So um, so I, I, so I think I've got job security for a while. I think it's human nature to, <laughs> to overcomplicate things, but you know, that's, that's the, the purpose of my job is to try to help simplify the, the process. I mean, Nick, Nick, ha- Nick has the next question, but I just have to say we're laughing because that's a lot of our job too, um, is, is to simplify, you know, the, the story and the, the communications and the understanding of what companies are doing. Um, and, and so many people just try to complicate it and, uh, there's just so many times that it's that, that we go back and we're like, it's not that complicated. We have to simplify it. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I think we're, I think all consultants are probably, um, uh, nodding their heads, um, along with that. So Nick, go Good. ahead. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, you touched on something very briefly in, in your last response there that I've, I'm very personally interested in and that's genetics. You know, I've, uh, closely followed over the last couple of years, the development of ge- gene editing technologies like CRISPR and Talon. And I've been wondering when these are going to start making a bigger impact on on the cannabis plants. And so do you have any insight? Are people using these gene editing technologies? Are other master growers trying to build the perfect plant? So that's still a relatively new um, in terms of gene editing. And so I think uh, the, the benefit that it holds in the future is similar to other GMO crops. And so the, the biggest challenge growing cannabis, especially outdoors, uh, even in a greenhouse, is its susceptibility to disease. So we don't have the, I don't know if you call it a luxury, but we don't have the benefit of being able to use a number of different plant protection products in order to ward off disease, particularly mold. And so if you don't have control over the environment, you can't spray the plant with anything. So you're really at the mercy of mother nature. And, uh, you know, a lot of farmers that grow outdoors are really just kind of sitting with their fingers crossed as they approach the harvest date, hoping that there's not a, a straight week of rain, which could decimate the crop. So where I see that coming into play, I think, is for large scale outdoor growers that want to grow a variety that is resistant to disease. So it's going to allow them to to grow um, a large crop under less than ideal conditions and still be able to profit from it. But uh, um you know, closer to home, I, I really, I don't see that coming into play because 
if we look at the adult use market, you know, most consumers are after the same thing. You know, half of all sales in a dispensary are dried flour. And so the other half is everything else. And so if we look at the dried flour side in an adult use um, scenario, most consumers are looking for high THC and a really rich, unique mix of terpenes. So, you know, when you walk into a dispensary, you've got dozens of varieties behind a glass case. And my eyes, like most consumers, go directly to the THC value. Right. So if if it's 30 percent THC or higher, um, that that product is going to fly off the shelf. And if it has a unique name, which indicates something about a unique flavor, that's all the more interesting. So I really don't see these gene editing tools really affecting really the medicinal or adult use markets, because one, there's already hundreds of varieties out there. And two, through uh, classic breeding techniques, we can breed stronger varieties in terms of THC or CBD, and we can continue discovering, you know, unique mix of, of cannabinoids and terpenes, which is really what drives the consumer preference. So I think the gene editing has more of an application for large scale outdoor cultivation. Uh, you know, as you're talking about, you know, the, the shelf at the dispensary and, you know, half of it is, is dried flour, um, fundamentally is, is growing for, uh, dried flour versus growing for, uh, extraction, uh, any different? In other words, do you, do you treat it? Do you, are there, is there any magic that goes into either one, anything different or are they, you know, you just, you just grow it and it's up to, you know, whoever you're growing it for to either dry it or to extract it. Yep. So the process of growing the plant is the same regardless of the end, the end use or the end product. So the, but the benefit of uh, growing in greenhouses or growing outdoors, especially when we talk about extraction is that the consumer actually never sees the flower right? So they're buying the vape pen or they're buying the edible or the cream that has the active ingredient inside of it. And so the draw we're going to see over the next few years, the draw of these countries, um, uh, you know, South America, Central America that are legalizing cannabis for production, the draw isn't so much the domestic market. It's the ability to grow on a large volume at a low cost of production and then export those active ingredients to other countries. So, uh, so if you're growing for uh, extraction, uh, you can do so less expensively in greenhouses and much less expensively outdoors. But if we're growing for sales in a dispensary where visual appeal, you know, makes up a big chunk of the, the consumer's decision, then that's where you see a lot of growers preferring to stay indoors because indoors you can control every aspect of the environment from the intensity of the light to the temperature to the humidity. And you can really create uh, really a specimen, you know, a, a beautiful flower indoors that can really command a high price at the retail level. But um, if you're growing primarily for extraction, indoor growing is the most expensive way to to grow, and it's not necessarily an appropriate or necessary decision. Ryan, do you have a favorite strain? You've talked a lot about like what what makes really good cannabis. So, do you have any any preferences? Uh, you know, I like anything that's kind of on the citrusy side. I was recently in the Boston area and, and stopped by a dispensary there and I purchased a, a, a variety. I forget the exact name, but anything that's kind of citrusy or has that tangerine flavor to it, I, I really like. 
I, I am not in a legal market, so I, I can't go out and purchase and do all my shopping, but uh, I will make sure once Arizona gets it all up and running to, to definitely go for more of the citrus stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you know, Ryan, a lot of what, you know, the, the people that we talk to on this podcast are, um, are entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I think anybody in the cannabis space, you know, kind of has a, uh, an interesting vision. If you had, uh, one piece of advice for, um, either a company you're working for or someone trying to ramp up their cultivation capabilities, um, what would it be? So for an entrepreneur looking to get into the industry, um, my recommendation is that, that you do it with money that you can afford to lose. So my job is to help uh, clients get into this business and be successful. Uh, the book that I wrote really is a guidebook from A to Z on how to do it and give yourself the best chance possible of being successful. But, um, you know, things happen and plans don't always work out perfectly. So you don't want to put your life savings on the line. You don't want to put your children's college education on the line. So my recommendation for entrepreneurs uh, that are getting into the business is do it with someone else's money or do it with money that you can afford to lose. Uh, for existing cultivators that are looking to expand into new markets or expand in their own market, uh, my recommendation is to keep things simple. So if you're already in business and growing successfully, the idea is simply to duplicate what you're already doing, but on a much larger scale. But if you throw in a bunch of new genetics or a bunch of new technology, you can actually create a growing environment that's so foreign to your cultivation team that, that you've set up more challenges for yourself than necessary. So I think the key to launching and the key to expansion is really just to keep it simple. Ryan, you've been extremely generous with your time. We have a couple more questions for you. And, and we alluded to the excitement around the cannabis industry um, for 2021 with uh, a fully democratic uh, federal government. Um, do you have any bold predictions what we may see, you know, transform the industry this year? Or is there anything in particular that's exciting you about the cannabis industry right now? Yeah, so bold predictions. I think uh, I don't think federal legalization is is realistic in the next few years, but at the same time, I don't think that's necessary for us to move forward as an industry. To the contrary, I think we have a ton of uh, reasons to be excited. So, I think we'll see uh, existing markets continue to expand, and I think we'll see new markets in new states over the next few years that choose to legalize cannabis without even taking it to to the voting population. So, I think we have plenty to be excited about. And this is a question that we ask all of our guests too. Is there, uh, if you were to open up, what's your home city these days? Are you are you still in Maine? Or are you in Are you in Toronto? Uh, no, I'm based out of Vero Beach in Florida. Oh, so I was completely wrong. You sound very Canadian, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think growing up in Maine and spending a couple of years working in Canada, it's it's rubbed yeah, off. I can't. Yeah. I can't, well, I can't shake it. I mean, look, I'm from Jersey, and it's definitely a lovelier accent than mine. <laughs> so we'll just go from there. Um, so you know, if you were to open, you know, the Sun Sentinel tomorrow, or or the Wall Street Journal, or USA Today, and find a story about cannabis cultivation that that hasn't been told or um, or, or something that you find of great interest that that just a reporter hasn't hasn't hooked onto yet. Like what what is that story? So that story would be about the future of cannabis cultivation. So here's kind of the the interesting uh, scenario, or maybe it's kind of a, an, an inconvenient truth: is that on the one hand, uh, 
it's great that we're, we're legalizing cannabis in more and more states and more and more countries. But on the other hand, we don't want our legacy as an industry to be that we've created this, uh, this uh, electrical and water consuming hog in a sense, because the majority of cultivators are not growing cannabis in a very environmentally friendly manner. So as, as uh, growers, as entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry, we need to anticipate that we'll come under increased pressure to do what we're doing, but do it using less. So an interesting, uh, an interesting article in any magazine or newspaper would be how the cannabis industry plans to become much more green over the next few years, given the fact that it, it'll expand several times to the size that it is today. I love that. I'd read that story. And it needs to happen. It's a green industry. It's in the name. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's the only commercially cultivated crop that's grown this way. Every other fruit or vegetable or herb is grown either outdoors or in greenhouses. And these crops have a razor thin margin. So if, if we found a way to successfully um, profitably grow hydroponic tomatoes in a greenhouse, then we can absolutely do it with, with cannabis. Okay, really, really last question. Where can people buy your book? Oh, <laughs> great. So you can go to my, uh, you can go to my uh, website at douglascultivation.com and I've got a page dedicated to the book and uh, it's uh, pretty easy to purchase it there. Well, Ryan Douglas, uh, the new book is called How to Launch a Great Cannabis Cultivation Business in Record Time. Uh, we love talking to you today. Um, we would love to have you back in, in six months or so just to kind of see, see what's happening from a cultivation perspective. Excellent. It would be a pleasure to come back. And thanks so much for having me on today. A special thanks to our guest, Ryan Douglas. You can find his book, From Seed to Success, How to Launch a Great Cannabis Cultivation Business in Record Time on Amazon, as well as on his website, douglascultivation.com. We'll make sure to have a link in the show notes for you to easily purchase it. Um, as always, if you want to chat with us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Uh, drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Uh, we love getting all your guys' uh, feedback and guest ideas, and we have a, a lot more exciting guests and episodes coming up throughout 2021. And don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush newsletter and to the podcast in your favorite podcatcher. And as always, thanks much for listening. That's one take, Shay. One take.